Hello everyone and thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films. Whether you're a first time listener or a long time listener, like I stay every episode, it's greatly appreciated and thank you for your constant, constant support. I think it was June that I did my last X-Files episode so it only seems fitting that we do return. I did say as well that I was going to try and do like an X-Files collection um, a collection of episodes where I'll just revisit some of my favourite monsters, characters, episodes, etc, etc. And here we are once again on this podcast, uh, going to be talking about The X-Files, Mulder and Scully meet the Wormonster. Now 2016 was a very exciting time and year, I should say, for fans of The X-Files because after the 2008 film, I Want to Believe, which did moderately okay at the box office, fans were hopeful that maybe one day we would get another entry from Chris Carter and The X-Files. After all, as mentioned before on the pod, the original plan was to do a string of films after season five to wrap up The X-Files, so it wasn't completely out of the realms of possibility that another film could come our way. However, even as a fan, I wasn't too convinced we'd ever see Mulder and Scully again on the screen due to the lacklustre response that we got for the second film. But I was proved wrong as in 2015, Fox and Chris Carter announced that the X-Files would be reopened for the small screen for a six-part event series which would bring in and tie up the ins and outs of the alien colonisation that was discussed within the show's mythos. Originally dated, that was set for 2012, this whole alien colonisation, this and that, it was all going to kick off in that year. So I think fans were expecting 2012 to be a big year for the X-Files, thinking that maybe a film would come out then. That never happened, never materialised, but it was just really, really great um, to have, as I say, more X-Files coming. And though this was to be an event series, so to speak, the new episodes would again do what the X-Files does best, or did best, we should say, you know, have its mythology episodes, but also its Monster of the Week episodes too. And just a quick side note on the mythology episodes for the series, they were actually quite good. I felt like it ended in such a brilliant way for season 10, this event series, that sadly, like, season 11 spoiled. But that is another story for another day. I mean, if we yeah, if we sat down and started talking about the, 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 la- the last season of The X-Files, I think there'd be so much to dissect and just go over, because... There's a few things that just didn't work entirely for me with the mythos in general, but I thought that in terms of what they did with this season and the direction they went in for the revival, it worked really well for first-time viewers and as well it appeased long-time fans as well. But again, it just was completely ruined by the events of season 11. I don't want to keep coming back to that. It was just such a strange... Such a strange time, really, when they when they brought it back. They did so well with season 10 get another season out there, which again, I was so pumped for, so happy as well, being a huge fan, to want to be just completely and utterly disappointed. It was, um, yeah, no, we, we will eventually touch on season 11 of The X-Files, but I'm not too sure when. But back to this episode in question, because I would easily put Mulder and Scully Meet the Wormonster as the best episode of the show's revival. Undoubtedly, the best of this season for me. It captured everything great about The X-Files, especially with the lighter side of the show that the series has put out. And I really do love the comedic episodes. It's almost like they really somehow pad out all areas and aspects of Mulder and Scully and add extra layers by making jokes and having fun. You know, like episodes such as Humbug or in particular Bad Blood always get a great shout, you know, for best comedic episodes. And, And sure, you know, we do get those dry and quick jokes in the show's serious episodes, perhaps, but nothing beats Mulder and Scully 
being a comedic duo and it was nice to see that the show brought that back for its revival and it wasn't just me who very much enjoyed this episode fans also took to this episode as did the critics who praised its writing and performances from leads and supporting cast members in particular Reese Darby who is absolutely brilliant as Guy Mann in this episode and amazingly the episode debuted with 100% on Rotten Tomatoes again not that I listen to Rotten Tomatoes but it's always a bonus isn't it seeing a high score for something that you very much enjoy Alex McCown of the AV Club called Mulder and Scully Meet the Wehrmonster an instant classic he concluded that the episode is a brilliant and empathetic justification of the series' return and therefore makes the case for why the X-Files is still worth having around which it really was it really is and as I stated a few times already I just can't believe what they did with it I can't believe what Chris Carter did with it in that season 11 especially when such talent and skill went into these these six episodes I felt like it was just I don't know kind of got lost a little bit in that in that season afterwards but we're going to talk all things anyways about the Wehrmonster Mulder and Scully meeting the Wehrmonster another X-Files collection obviously on the podcast I'm trying to get as much X-Files content on the pod as I can because as you know I bloody love this show. But as usual, the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as to rss.com. Jump onto Facebook, to Instagram, all that jazz. Give us a like and a follow there. That would be awesome. Do leave a review as well on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever it is that you listen to this podcast through. Hit that five-star, four-star, whatever stars. I don't care. Just leave a review. That would be really, really lovely. But most importantly, get in touch. And thank you so much for your support. Back to the episode, Mulder questions his faith in the unexplained. He attempts to gather proof of the existence of the new creature he and Scully investigate before jumping to conclusions. This is the first ever X-Files episode, by the way, which contains Mulder and Scully's names in the title. In this case, obviously, it's got both of them. The title of the episode is intended as a parody of like Bud and Abbott and Lou Costello films, such as Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy from 1955, or Bud Abbott, Lou Costello Meet Frankenstein from 1948. This is also the first X-Files episode penned by Darren Morgan since season three's Jose Chung's From Out of Space. That aired in 1996, and the episode, that one in particular, is absolutely wild, and again, a very, very big fan favourite. Season 3, for me, is probably up there as the best X-Files series. Undoubtedly, I say without a doubt, if you haven't seen... It's one of those where I'm always just telling people to go check out the X-Files and go binge it, but I'm always like, once you hit Season 3, poof, that is, like, honestly, unbelievable. Like, peak. I don't want to say it peaked at 3, because there's still some great seasons, but for me... Nothing compares. It was such a fantastic season. And Jose Chung's From Out of Space is one of those episodes that makes up that fantastic season. But this, again, this episode, it brings back that familiar feel of what made The X-Files great. The only difference now is that the characters are older, they're more experienced, and in particular with Mulder, more open to the possibility that he's been chasing shadows, ghosts, or whatever, all of his career within The X-Files. This is something I do like to see in the show, having faith and beliefs being pushed to breaking point, that characters aren't sure what they're supposed to do next. We see the seriousness of this in the show's run, but it's nice also to have some fun with it too. And I feel that the first scene between the two leads is absolutely a fantastic segment as it brings in exactly where we are at with these characters in particular as well this is the third episode in the revival series where a lot of time has passed for these characters 
And it would allow then for wiser eyes to maybe see the flaws in the past selves and past cases. And Mulder does exactly this when he reels off some of the many ridiculous cases that he was chasing in his youth and bringing realism and explanations to all of them. Like the whole sequence is absolutely fantastic. It's fast, it's funny and sets you up for what to expect for the next 40 minutes or so. And it perfectly illustrates the wonderful chemistry that Duchovny and Anderson have. This is it at its absolute best and comparing it to a few moments in episode one and two that just felt you know a little force in the revival at times this this episode the fluidity is all there and the dynamic between the two oozes off screen it is so so great i absolutely adore the sequence him obviously just throwing a nice little nod as well with the whole throwing pencils into the i want to believe poster obviously we've seen him before when he throws them up to the ceiling that too is a nice little nod there but just him going over all these different cases that obviously sound ludicrous and out there as it is to then just kind of be like, well, it was just actually like a, this person was dressed up in this costume because they were promoting like, a, I don't know, a car sales or something like that. Like it's so, so extraordinary and so much fun as well to see Mulder poking fun at himself. And it is a real nice flip for the show where on top of that familiar setting of having the agents, you know, doing their investigation of a crime scene, which is in the woods, usually Vancouver, something that always, like for me, represented what the X-Files was, you know, the amazing scenery and having that, you know, the woods as a common backdrop. But in this particular moment when they're at the crime scene, you have Scully leading the charge for a change by going over the description of the alleged creature that attacked on the previous night. And again, it's very entertaining having Mulder being so flippant and so laid back, you know, completely... I wouldn't say completely uninterested, you know, but he's certainly on a different level of like a different level of care about this particular case because he's going on saying, you know, making claims like, once you've seen one monster, you've seen them all, and just you know waving his hand, completely dismissive of the details that have been reported, making claims as well, such as it's amazing that no one got a picture of this said monster that apparently did this attack, and seen as everyone has phones these days, words to that effect, anyways. But you know, he's attempting to gather proof of the existence of this new creature that he and Scully are investigating before, as I say, we spoke about the, the synopsis earlier before he jumps to any conclusions. Now, usually in these instances, we know what Mulder's like. Mulder will be straight up on the charge to find the monster. There'd be like no rational, in a way, thinking. There's rationality there, but in terms of his beliefs and what he thinks and all the evidence and facts are pointing towards it being a monster or whatever, he would run with that and it would be Scully that would be bringing in that realism to the conversation. But in this episode, it's Mulder that's bringing in the realism, you know, with facts such as like a pack of wolves could have attacked these people and brought them back to their lair and insisting to Scully that when they do find whoever it is that's killed this victim or victims, they're going to have two eyes as opposed to the detailed drawing witness had provided, which claimed that the monster had three eyes. Now, according as well to Gillian Anderson, her daughter Pippa Anderson Klotz drew the drawing of the horned monster that Mulder was showing everybody during the whole episode. There's actually the image, the art for this episode on the podcast is a picture of Mulder holding said image. So yeah, really cool stuff there as well. And just coming back to the the photo side of it, that someone didn't get a photo of this monster, I do think it's hilarious that he continues to try and capture a picture of said creature following this, rather than getting like his gun out or flashlight. He picks out his phone, which he continues to flash over whilst they investigate. And it's just a nice touch. And again, bringing in that theme of belief, this episode really runs home as Mulder is trying to find 
an explainable explanation and proof wherever he can. But I do also really like Scully's approach in this episode, as she clearly is just having a whale of a time and loving every minute. She humours Mulder throughout without being like dismissive or patronising in any way, and she understands that her partner is going through a bit of a questionable period and time, but knows deep down that he'll always return to the Mulder that she knows. Just because they're getting older doesn't mean they were ever wrong about past events, and Gillian Anderson really plays the side of Scully well throughout the episode, just bouncing back and forth whenever Mulder is having one of his moments, or just letting him ramble and smiling away. I just love it as well when Mulder's like, you're loving this, aren't you? And she's like, yep, I forgot how good it was to do this job. You know, it's just really nice. It's like the first time, because obviously there was that serious tone in the first two episodes of the event series, but this is really where the fun... This is, this is like I say, the X-Files. Like Those episodes where people were never not bothered necessarily about like the mythology side of it and that running theme of like where's Mulder's sister or do aliens exist this that and the other just those one-off episodes where they're just hunt, you're trying to solve a case this is one of those where you can really see would just grapple people into being so hooked um quick note as well um there were some stoners at the start of the episode as well that witnessed the monster for the first time obviously it's their accounts their whatever about what happens they are in fact the same actors nicole parker and tyler labine who played the characters from a couple of episodes in season three um notably war of the copper Hages, again one of my favorites and quagmire again another firm favorite of mine and it's just nice to see those stoners return for a quick spell now this episode was actually nicole parker's first acting role since 1998 and that's not the only nod or easter egg that this episode has because there are a great amount of easter eggs and nods in this episode that we will come to but i want to jump to the monster itself the were monster because that's what we're here about you know that's what the whole episode is the, is the driving force of the story now this concept for me is absolutely genius having the trope of a person turning into a monster all of that being switched so that it's a monster turned into a person i think it's a fantastic concept and one that really works super well for an x-file episode the character guy man again perfectly highlighting a creature picking a name at random to be perceived by a human guy man um is a shapeshifter after being bitten by a human some days before i think the casting of reese darby was to a very clever one being that he's a very funny performer and something like this certainly needs to have comedy involved given the episode's overall premise i think reese darby perfectly illustrated that shock of a monster that does not want to be a human and do the trivial human mundane things that we all do the exchange between guy and Mulder at the graveyard is one of my favorite sequences in season 10 possibly the show's entire run to be honest as he explains his circumstance of what he actually is and where he should be in contrast to what he is now and what he has to do to survive as a human I absolutely love how he was going over the details of his routines, the desire for coffee, the the the, the consciousness that he can hear the voice in his head, you know, then telling him to to get a job, wanting then to quit his job at random because he was sick of it, but ultimately knowing that he couldn't make that rash decision as he needs money to survive. He needs a mortgage, this and that and this and that. Incredible script writing of putting these everyday things into the mind of a character that shouldn't and doesn't want to be part of the human race. I laugh every single time where he's begging to be put down by Mulder, exclaiming, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and have to go to work. Absolutely fantastic. It's also really great having such an outside perspective, just touching on that, looking in to see what makes human human and basically pointing out the flaws that are in there or just how we're built to survive. And with the story of guys being so fantastic and outlandish, he and Mulder, you know, they end up discussing life in general. And if that there is nothing more to life than we already know, 
All that's left is worry, self-doubt, regret, and loneliness. I genuinely think that Reese Darby is so terrific in this whole sequence at the graveyard. Everything about him is so funny and charming that it's incredibly difficult not to get on board with him in this episode. Plays the part absolutely perfectly. It's quite interesting, obviously, having praised Darby so much there. It's interesting to note that Darby was extremely nervous about you know appearing in this episode, largely due to the amount of story that he had to tell. Um, he was apparently more confident about playing up to the comedic nature of the role due to his, obviously, history as a comedian. And Darby then explained that when he usually films, he enjoys improvising new lines or ad-libbing bits to make existing lines funnier. But with Morgan's script, he found this completely unnecessary in stating that his writing was perfect. I couldn't deviate off the tracks. Normally, as a comic actor, I like to improvise and try and make things funnier than they are on the paper. But there was no improvement I could make. Now, not only is this a testament to the writing for this episode, but it also really showcases the talent that Darby is, as he really managed to sink his teeth into this episode and run with the comedic side of it. Even when there's a seriousness to the delivery or feelings for a certain scene that he has... Darby brings such a nice lightness to it that it fits the overall feel and vibe of this episode. He very much portrays that fish-out-of-water feel extremely well, coming across as a monster that's transformed into a human and experiencing new emotions and feelings for the very first time and questioning it, you know, why he does the things that he feels he needs to and why he has these emotions when as a monster... None of that matters. I also really like how the monster itself symbolises Mulder's beliefs, which we know, as, as we've spoken about, takes a bit of a hit in this episode. Mulder wants the evidence and proof that these attacks are from a so-called monster. And even when he's receiving and hearing all this fantastic information from Guy, he still can't quite believe him and there's zero proof to back up said claims. All the way through, even when Mulder is starting to actually think, this could maybe be a monster, which again, sorry, side tangent, very, very entertaining sequence of him word vomiting at Scully in that motel room, pretty much having a conversation with himself, much like the Mulder that we know and love. All of that, though, even when that's all going off, he's still doubting his findings and whether it is in fact a monster that they're on the hunt for. All of this, the conversation with Guy Mann, the details of witnesses, etc. It's just so much fun watching Mulder pick it all apart and try and make some rational sense of what is actually happening here rather than following his gut and his beliefs. And it is such a beautiful moment when it comes round at the end where he shakes Guy's hand after, after saying to him that he wants to believe his story, wants to believe him, to look up and see Guy in his natural and monstrous form before the worm monster then runs away into the woods to hibernate. The close-up shot, that final shot, lingering shot of Mulder's face followed by the X-Files whistle playing out. I feel like it was such a wonderful moment that puts Mulder, and in a way, like, it puts the fans back on track as well, you know what I mean? Like, it's just to say, look, look, this is the X-Files, you know what I mean? Like, you've gone on this journey with the lead character, you've, you, we've seen so much as it is over the course of the many years the show is running, but this is why you do it, this is why he does it, why we watch it, you know what I mean? I felt like it was such a great full circle moment and a really, really beautiful one at that. Now, the other main cast members that join in this episode is Kumal Nanjiani as Pasha. Now, Nanjiani is a very big fan of the X-Files themselves. He hosts a podcast, in fact, called The X-Files Files, very good, worth a listen, in which he and, obviously, guests discuss various episodes. Now, writer-director Darren Morgan enjoyed Nanjiani's critical thinking about the series on his podcast, and then decided to offer him a role in this episode. Nanjiani was quite worried, though, that the fans would think he ruined the show, to air quote, and jokingly said, it's like being in love with a gorgeous woman for 20 years, and then, when you finally go out with her, you end up murdering her. Now, just off the bat there, I, I think Nanjiani is great. I think he's absolutely he's a funny, funny guy, 
but I really do like him in this episode. Like, there's no concern there in terms of he walked away thinking, oh, I'm not sure how I did there. Like, honestly, as I say, even with those worries, I do think he knocked it out of the park. Timing, delivery, the comedy lines are great. I thought it was a cool plot point that it was him that was doing the killings and attacks on people, you know, inadvertently biting the wear monster in the process, transforming him into a human. His character is essentially part of pet control and always just seems to be, from, from like I said, from an outside, from like Mulder and Scully's outside perspective when they're doing the investigation, Pasha just comes across like, you know, he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time and like comes across as just a bit of a klutz more than anything. However, as the episode goes on, we learn in the show's ending, obviously, that it wasn't the case of wrong place, wrong time. He was exactly where he wanted to be, stalking his next victim to then kill them. And I love when Scully obviously apprehends him. He goes to explain his motive, saying it started off when he was a young young child, this, that, and the other, this like kind of need and want to hurt young animals which then escalated he's then cut off leading him to exclaim but i had a whole speech prepared it's just it's just really really entertaining now i mentioned as well about easter eggs and nods and there is a great amount i probably won't cover all of them but there is so so many in this episode but this particular moment when scully apprehends pasha and revealing that he's a serial killer Mulder questions scully why she's putting herself in danger by going after suspects without backup she did it earlier when she went to obviously quickly speak with guy man and she does it again here and Scully replies to Mulder, you forget, I'm immortal. Now, this is in reference to the fan theory that Scully is, in fact, immortal. This idea first came into view when another Darren Morgan episode, Clyde Brookman's Final Repose, which, again, is absolutely fantastic. And guess which season that one's in? Three. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Scully finally asked Clyde Brookman in that episode, because he can predict how people are going to die, how does she die? And his answer is that she doesn't. This idea is then solidified in the episode Titonus from 1999. Alfred Felig exchanges his own immortality to save Scully. And it's stuff like this where, when it's done right, the X-Files can really make you sit back in your seat and just be in awe of its links and ties to that canon thread throughout. You think about, like, that's not really part of like the mythology, this whole thing about Scully being immortal. It's just something that kind of keeps popping up every now and then. And I really love it when something like that is handled super well, especially, like... In the revival as well, by bringing that up again, you know, it is such such a nice little nod, as opposed to, like, the absolute dumpster fire of crap, obviously, that we got from season 11 that was pushed out by Chris Carter. This is where, like I said, when you see something done super, super well and these nods in there, it just kind of, like, just feels really warm, you know what I mean? There are some other really cool Easter eggs as well in this episode, such as the X-Files theme ringtone uh, that awakes Mulder whilst he's asleep in the graveyard. There are also subtle ones as well. I mean, that one's a bit of a blatant one when you hear the theme tune, you're like, well, there you go. But like the subtle ones, for instance, in the same sequence, the grave that Mulder is resting on is that of Kim Manners, who was a key writer and producer of the X-Files show that passed away a few years prior. Great talent as well was Kim Manners. In addition as well, we have Mulder laying on the bed uh, in red underwear, which is referencing the, inf- the infamous scene of Mulder coming out of the pool in the red speedo within the episode Dwayne Barry. And my final Easter egg point is Guy Mann's dog's name, Dagu, is referenced to Herman Melville's novel, Moby Dick, continuing a tradition of featuring Melville-inspired names within the series. Scully's father used to call her Starbuck. Scully's former dog reference in this episode as well was named Queequag, obviously mentioned in the episode Quagmire as well. Scully likens Mulder's search for the truth to that of Captain Ahab's search for the Great White Whale. I feel this episode just really as a whole captured, like, I've already stated the best parts of the X-Files, even having been away from the small screen for so long, and aside from the negatives I have surrounding the overall revival of the show, 
mainly where it ended, or at least where it ended up going. This episode really brought back that feel that the likes of, like I've already said, like Bad Blood had, which again is another X-Files triumph, and it showed again just how much fun it can be to see Mulder and Scully investigate the paranormal. And if anything as well, it showed that Mulder and Scully were still a fantastic duo together and still one of TV's power couples. A really, really strong episode, this one. So, so good, as I stated, obviously, a number of times. I loved every element about it. I think it's definitely the best of the entire revival. That's two seasons worth of new X-File content. This is the one episode where I always come back to if I want to watch anything from those later series. I'm very much looking forward, as I say, to kind of going back over some more of the earlier ones, this and that. We've obviously done Tombs. I've done the X-Files first film. Now the Monster. More importantly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear, really, if you're an X-Files fan, if you want to go over any, if you want to hear any particular episode sorry on the podcast then make sure you do get in touch because i have got a lot of time for it um and i'd love to know obviously your thoughts on mulder scully meet the way monster because unbelievable stuff like i said reese darby is such a force in this episode absolutely hilarious some really really cool sequences between him and just himself really like in like talking to through the mirror having to go at the mirror or the alarm clock or stuff in his hotel room so so much enjoyment in there but again mulder and scully absolutely just fa- fantastic to see those two have a lot of fun I've waffled on for some time already, but I really do appreciate you checking this podcast out. As always, always appreciate your support. And of course, as I say, just, just keep in touch, get in touch. Let me know your thoughts on this episode, on the podcast as a whole, whatever it is. Just thank you ever so much for your support. I'm looking forward to more content. Not too much knocking about at the cinema at the minute, but I'm making sure to go and see what I can. There's an exciting episode coming out next week as well, revisiting one of my all-time favorite films, which, yeah, should be with you in no time. But until then, thank you so much, as always, for listening. Until the next episode.